all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy, where the doctor's always in. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at UMMC. Thanks for joining us this morning. This is the program where you can call in with any kind of healthcare questions or concerns that you might have, or maybe you just want to join in the conversation from a previous caller. Today's the day to do that live. That's right. You can call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can always send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy from MPB Think Radio. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Good morning and welcome to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with you this morning and uh, we're going to be talking about all kinds of things today that are going to be interesting because they're from you. That's right. This is the program where you can call in. We really rarely have a topic-driven program unless it's something that we're really pushing. We may touch on it a little bit, uh, issues that are here in the news, but the the main thing that we want to uh, to provide is your questions that you might have. So if you've got a burning question about medication or about a new diagnosis, maybe it's some symptoms that you haven't gotten a diagnosis on yet, give us a call this morning. We can try to tackle those live or at least point you in the right direction. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or if you're not available to call us, you can always send an email to us and we'll try to get those answers back to you via email. You can reach us at remedy at mpbonline.org. Hope everybody's having a great midweek. This is hump day for everybody. Not going to have any camels on the program today, but um, want to make sure everybody is enjoying, again, the weather. Man, looking great. Of course, there's lots of flooding, lots of different places. Please be careful. I uh, was out of town this weekend when a lot of that came through Mississippi, just south of here in New Orleans, but uh, it was a lot of flooding, continues to be a problem around several of our major rivers in the state. So please be careful. Most of the uh, fatalities that um, result from flooding are in vehicles. Uh, so just keep that in mind. If you're crossing water, uh, it's very hard to determine what the uh, what the depth of that water is. And you never know when a uh, highway or a road is going to wash out underneath that, uh, particularly with all the rain that we've had. So be careful out there if you're doing that. 
Ran across a study this week that I thought I'd mention while we're waiting on uh, on a few callers to call in. This is on glucosamine. So glucosamine is a common supplement that people take for osteoarthritis. This is sort of the type of arthritis that is the wear and tear arthritis. All of us have a little bit of this, just joints break down over time. Glucosamine is a natural substance made by the body that... Uh, uh, is made by cartilage to help sort of in the lubrication, if you want to think of it that way, in the joints in the body. So a lot of people take this uh, along with chondroitin sulfate. Sometimes they're in combination. But this study was looking at some of the effects of glucosamine on other things, in particular cardiovascular disease. So this was a multi-center. That means there were 22 different geographic places that participated in this. Uh, and it was associated, those people who took glucosamine, again, for osteoarthritis, it was associated with about a 15% lower risk for total cardiovascular disease. So that's stroke, coronary heart disease are the two biggest things that you see there, but also peripheral vascular disease. Uh, so it's pretty surprising, and it was adjusted for uh, sex, body weight, uh, um, or body mass index, rather, race, lifestyle factors, diet, medications, other supplements, those kinds of things. So very interesting. It's not prime time enough that if you have a higher risk that you necessarily need to take glucosamine for that. But it is notable that uh, if you're taking that, that's a a small but decreased risk of cardiovascular disease. Uh, Just something to throw out there for you to chew on. And uh, as things like this come up, we, uh, we try to talk about it. All right, we got our first caller on the line. Let's go to John in Ocean Springs. Good morning, John. Well, good morning, Dr. Jimmy. How are you today? I am good. What's going on down there in Ocean Springs? It's a beautiful day, as you said, and I just called to see if you'd ever heard of this before. I had um, acid reflux, so on and off, sometimes severely, for two or three years. Uh-huh. Uh, my doctor occasionally put me on those various medications, and they helped, but um, I decided to lose a little weight, and so I cut out you know, processed carbs, breads things like that. Yep. And the acid reflux cleared up. Yep. And then I experimented a few times and went back, and it's it's amazing. And now, uh, as long as I stay off processed carbs, no acid reflux. I just wondered if you'd heard of that or if there'd been any studies on these kinds of things. Yeah, John, astute patients often pick up on a couple of things like that. And although there are a little bit of differences from person to person, generally the things that you mentioned hold true. So you mentioned several different risk factors for gastroesophageal reflux, and it's probably uh, worth noting sort of how that happens. So, you know, your stomach produces gastric acid. It has a pH somewhere between 2 and 3, so it's really acidic to help break down foods. That's a natural thing. The lining of the stomach has cells that produce sort of a mucus layer to help protect those cells from getting eaten up by that acid. But in some instances, that layer, that lining can get eroded, or people can produce more acid than they can handle with that lining. Lots of different factors. Stress influences it. You mentioned obesity, or even if you're not obese, just a couple of extra pounds sometimes, and that's really a mechanical effect. So it's pushing up on your stomach so that it increases the pressure, the normal pressure that's in the stomach to help churn all that food particles and stuff up. And then it's a, the stomach's like a balloon with two outlets, so food can either go through it or it can come back the way it went down, up the esophagus. And that's when you get the symptoms of reflux. Some people say, you know, I burp, and then I get that burning in my chest. That's sort of a typical one. 
Um, so obesity, losing a couple of pounds can do it. And then you mentioned also uh, types of foods, particularly processed carbohydrates. So our body is designed wonderfully. So it's it uh, basically can adjust the amount of acid very quickly uh, along with other enzymes that are needed to break down foods and make fine adjustments as it senses different things that are coming down. So there are certain foods that can increase the amount of acid. You mentioned processed uh, carbohydrates or simple carbohydrates. Uh, glycemic index may be another way that you look at it too. So a, a, um, um, a smaller glycemic index as it relates to a longer glycemic index. So all those kinds of things play into it. But basically processed foods, uh, spicy foods, foods with increased salt intake, and a lot of those sometimes go together. That can really trigger a lot of these uh, symptoms and a lot more production of that acid. So not too uncommon. And, John, you're right. I mean, if you adjust your diet, a lot of times you can avoid a lot of those medications to take. We used to, you know, give these out willy-nilly, and they're over-the-counter, too. We do know that you have to be careful, particularly with the proton pump inhibitors with long-term use. So there is some risk, uh, small risk, of long-term use with uh, some gastrointestinal cancers just because probably because you're changing that acid content a little bit, and then also with absorption of things like calcium. But, uh, hey, hats off to you, John, for doing that. You've really discovered a, a way to to treat it naturally and to treat it with uh, some modifications in your uh, lifestyle. Well, I appreciate it, and I appreciate the info. So keep up the great work. I enjoy your show a great deal. Oh, thanks for calling, John. Yeah, good information because everybody, including myself, I don't know of anybody that hasn't at least one time in their life had what we call dyspepsia. So that's that those symptoms of burning uh, and uh, just sort of depends on different things. Uh, if you've got somebody graduating from high school, it can do it. I, I, I might know a person who, uh, who, who went through that. So, uh, but it's very common. You can sort of adjust those things in your lifestyle, though, and make it better. This is Southern Remedy, and uh, you can call in today with any kind of question you have. It doesn't have to be about heartburn. It can be about all kinds of different things. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're going to go to, I believe that's Lisa in Oxford. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning. Thanks for calling. Oh, thanks for answering. <laughs> I have a question. I was recently diagnosed with a chronic cerebellum infarct. Oh, okay. A silent stroke. They put me on low-dose 81-milligram aspirin every day, and now I'm concerned, of course, about that given the, the recent studies. Um, I have no – I mean, I have a family history of um, heart disease. My dad and all the men in, in my family seem to die early of, of heart heart attacks, one and only. Um, so I don't know what my, I, I, you know, the first doctor I saw when it was diagnosed kind of um, said it wasn't any big deal, everyone has them, and just let me go, and that was it, no follow-up. The second doctor, because I was concerned, I got a second opinion, he was more concerned, um, ran some labs that all came back fine, and has me on this aspirin and sees me every six months. What is, uh, but I, I still truly don't understand what my current risk is sure. for additional. Um, do I have to put this down on my medical history? I mean, yeah. it seems like there's a lot of information out there that says it's no big deal as much as there's information that says it's, it's a warning sign. I, yeah. I don't know. Hi, Lisa, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? 
I'm 58. Okay. So, uh, yeah, risk is the big keyword there. So if it is truly a uh, silent stroke, that's not something to be sort of blown off because the way that strokes work in the brain, it's like watering your yard. So if you... If you have a hose that goes out to a sprinkler system and for whatever reason, maybe, you know, those old time oscillating sprinklers that go back and forth like we used to have, still have them out there. Uh, if, if one of those little bitty nozzles in those sprinklers gets clogged up, you don't water that part of the yard and the grass will die. Same thing with our neurons, with the brain cells in your brain. It is a, uh, it's, it's a microvascular process, which means it's very small arteries and, and uh, that, that you see this happening most of the time. Uh, and you, it's mainly because of a, a lot of risk factors for that. So hypertension is one, diabetes, high cholesterol, uh, all these things sort of go into play. Um, now the I si- don't have any of Good, good, because I was going to ask that. Great. So, yeah. um, uh, so you know, people, it, once you've had that, though, once you've had the diagnosis, which basically is based on symptoms, and it may be helpful uh, based on some imaging, I'm presuming that they did an MRI that was contrasted they and looked did. at all Okay. I had ver- I had vertigo um, for a, for a few hours one morning that was so uncommon I've never had it before yeah. and I called the doctor and it was going into the Alabama game here in Oxford and the doctor just to be sure ordered a CAT scan so that yeah. that's what found. gotcha um, okay they, they didn't want to see me on the weekend again <laughs> it'd all be out at the game yeah but, uh, <laughs> I guess my, my you know one of my questions is um, I I recently had an eye exam. And I noticed my vision's getting worse, but when I went for my eye exam, and, and this happened last November, so when I went for my eye exam this year, um, one of the things that they told me was my right eye has significantly um, gotten worse, uh-huh. which I've, I've never had vision trouble other than age-related, and my right eye now requires a prescription glass, and I noticed when I was doing the test, my right eye is completely blurry, but I don't notice hmm. it because I use both my eyes. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I don't know if that's... An, a side effect of this, I don't really have any other side effects that I'm it, aware of. It could be because of the the part of your brain that was affected, but it also could be uh, there's a, a symptom called amaurosis fugax. It doesn't sound like what you have, but basically it's like a sheet of uh, a dark sheet that comes over your vision. The, the, the artery that supplies the eye is one of the first branches off the carotid artery that feeds uh, one of the major arteries that feeds the brain. Now, your symptoms were mostly in the back side of your brain, which is a basal artery. Um, it's a little bit different. It was on the right side. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. So uh, back to your question about aspirin. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff in the news. You mentioned that briefly that, you know, they said, hey, we're no longer recommending that everybody be put on aspirin for primary prevention of stroke or heart attack. And what does that mean, primary prevention? That means you've never had any kind of cardiovascular disease event. So you haven't had documented stroke, heart attack, or some of the risk factors that go along with that. However, for secondary prevention, for people who have already had a stroke, they already have uh, heart disease, even if it's a silent stroke like you had, um, that is an indication to take aspirin. So that's one of the things I would probably stick with because it's going to decrease your risk of a second uh, thing. And then staying on top of those risk factors, just because they're okay right now, I would yearly... I would have somebody check that out. Even if your cholesterol is normal, 
they need to think about the benefit and have a discussion with you about whether or not a cholesterol medication, particularly something like a torvastatin, that's old, that's the generic for Lipitor, or resuvastatin, which is the generic for Crestor, because you're a little bit increased risk now, even though those other things look okay. Um, so th- think about that. You may even want to throw out there a, a discussion with your physician about a coronary uh, artery um, calcification test. Um, because if I it, had that. Oh, good. Good, good, good. And that was low, too, I'm presuming. That was zero. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, so I think aspirin, staying healthy, don't pick up any bad health habits. Those are the main things you need to do. Okay, great. Thank you for your help. All right, Lisa, thanks for calling. Yeah, not too many things on a game day and weekend in Oxford. Uh, they, there are emergency services available, but, man, not much else unless it's game-related. So <laughs> been there. <laughs> All right, let's go to um, Shirley in Starkville, going from Oxford to Starkville, rival to rival. Shirley, are you with us? Up, oh, Shirley, are you there? All right, Shirley, we're going to put you on. Uh, we're going to try to put you on hold there, Shirley, and uh, we're going to take a break. Maybe we can get Shirley back. Plenty of time for you to call Southern Remedy if you have a question or a concern that you've been uh, diagnosed with, or maybe medication question. You can reach us this morning by calling one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, your calls. Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy and uh, beautiful morning out uh, outside today. If you can enjoy it, please do. Um, we got sort of an increase in allergy symptoms these days, though. It's, uh, you know, normally in early spring, particularly after a wet winter like we had, milder conditions, trees just pump out their pollen. And if, if you're in the south, you, if you don't have allergy problems, you're the one person I know that probably doesn't have them, but everybody has them at least a little bit. Uh, that pollen was just being pumped out, and everybody was sneezing, including myself, and runny eyes, all those kinds of things. Now we've uh, we've gotten into a little bit of grasses, um, so it's a little bit early, but it's been warm enough and enough, um, you know, enough rain. Plants tend to spit that pollen out right after a rain, too. If it's been a little dry and they get that, they can uh, pump that out there. So hang in there if you're having some allergy symptoms. A lot of different things you can do for that. We've talked about a lot of those before. Um, avoidance is one, not uh, too easy to do in a state like uh, like ours. Antihistamines do help somewhat. Some people have some problems with that. I was talking with somebody yesterday that gets uh, 
little punch drunk when they uh, have their antihistamine, whether it's Benadryl or Zyrtec or Claritin, those kinds of things. But uh, topical things do work. And then just the plain washing out of the nose, whether that be through something like a neti pot or an applicator bottle that you can get at uh, any of your pharmacies uh, uh, to have a sterile saline solution. Just wash all that stuff off of there. That's probably one of the better ways. So good luck to you out there to enjoy it. Want to keep everybody healthy while they're doing that. Speaking of health, so how much, this is a great question, how much does health care influence how long you're going to live, longevity? So that's a study that out of Stanford, very interesting. And I want to be careful when I say this because some people might think, ah, oh, there you go, I just don't need to go to a doctor. Um, so what's the impact of longevity, how long you can live, and the ability to really get good health care, does that really influence that? And they looked at uh, the risk of premature death using four different models. There's different research models that they use and different data. So all four models that they used to study this came to the same conclusion. So health care does impact how long you're going to live. But it's not as much as you might think. It's roughly about 10% um, of variation in premature death. But if you compare that to behavioral things that you can do, in other words, quit smoking or live a healthier lifestyle through what you eat in your food choices or physical activity, those factors and social factors are some things we can't control about where we live on a lower uh, socioeconomic um, uh, situations can really put you in a position where it's very difficult uh, to live healthy. Uh, but those things, those behavioral and social factors, do ca- account for anywhere from 16 to 65% of how long you're going to live. So it is important. So think about that, what you do. And that is totally, well, at least the modifiable ones, that's totally in your hands. And uh, as, a, as a physician, I often have those discussions with patients um, about just the power of that. And we heard a testimonial from the coast, from Ocean Springs, about that earlier, just about something uh, as, as common as uh, gastroesophageal reflux. So, uh, But it's just as impactful if you talk about the risk of uh, cancer, for instance. So, you know, you could cut cancer risk. If we somehow did away with obesity and ate right and exercised, uh, cancer risk would be significantly impacted. So you're talking about more than 50%, maybe even two-thirds of cancers would be cut uh, right off the bat. So keep that in mind, just a little bit of data to support what we sort of already knew about that, uh, but certainly something to think about. Uh, if you'd like to call in at Southern Remedy with any kind of question or comment that you have about anything that is ailing you or somebody close to you, you can reach out to us this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. We're going to go to Ann right here in Jackson. Good morning, Ann. Good morning. Uh, I have a question about uh, concerns I have about my daughter who's in her 40s. Okay. She has an incredibly healthy lifestyle as a runner. Um, she's had, earlier on, she had uterine cancer, and then a couple of years ago she had a meningioma, and she survived both of those things. Does that indicate an increased risk for her or some? indication that she has uh, immune de- an immune deficiency? 
Well, it's, it, it certainly brings up the question, particularly if you've had two separate cancers um, and, you know, that arise from different things. This is different than cancers that start in one place and then they metastasize or travel to somewhere else. Because you know, a lot of people get what you described is two separate cancers. But you can certainly like if you had colon cancer and it metastasized, it went to the bone. That's not a, a different type of cancer uh, yeah. right uh, just, just yeah. I, and i know you know that Anne, but i was just putting that out there for other people because sometimes it's confusing but if you've had two separate cancers it does bring up okay is there something going on in the background that is putting you at risk whether that's exposure to something and whether it's a genetic risk which there's a lot of cancers that sort of travel in groups from a genetic standpoint um, these two that you mentioned are are not, to my knowledge, genetically related, like there's not a gene for that. You mentioned the immune system. Certainly, we know that during periods of lower immunity, it puts you at risk for certain cancers. Again, I'm not aware of uterine cancer or meningioma being on that list. Mostly that's things like skin cancer and some uh, gastrointestinal cancers. But, um, yeah, it, it's a possibility and sometimes looking at the totality of it, like what's, you know, what's your daughter's lifestyle right now? You mentioned she's incredibly healthy, she's exercising, she's eating right. And sometimes you just don't find it. I mean, you can do, be doing everything right, and for whatever reason, that person's going to get, you know, the cancer. Um, now, both of those, if you catch them early, you know, certainly you have a good prognosis with, with those but uh, and I'm not aware of a link between those in particular. If you had told me uh, breast and ovary, then yeah, that's a big one. That's you know the uh, there's a there's a gene, a BRCA gene that that is associated with that. But I'm not aware of that. I'd have to go look it up. I'm not a geneticist, so I, but uh, but that's that's a good question to bring up. And certainly, if you go back in the family and try to go back as far as possible, a lot of times you can tease these familial cancer syndromes out, um, particularly when you start going way far back because people died and they didn't quite know what they died of. Yeah, the one, the only connection I've ever found, my mother years ago was exposed to some chemical and, and research related it to uh, gynecological issues with the next, not the next generation, my generation, but Sam's generation, and I don't know if uh, that had any. And since I can't remember sure. the research or the drug, I, I don't. I, mostly, I just wondered if there was. She's being monitored. She herself works in a healthcare setting okay. in where she is, and and she the, for the, the meningioma uh, physician says he'll see her every year. For the rest of her life. Yeah, and that's the best thing to do some surveillance like that, just to see about it. But yeah, it's you know it is possible to for a parent to be exposed to something, and then the the offspring can be you know their their son or daughter can be affected by it. But most of the time, that's when they're when they're exposed, they're pregnant, um, uh, or something that's that's uh, going to affect pregnancy. But, yeah, two generations off, that's a little less likely with something like that. But it might be something, you know, certainly in the healthcare industry, um, you know, uh, there's a radiation exposure with X-ray techs with doing that. I mean, if you're not careful and take the, the precaution, there's a lot of things. And got to ask and be a detective. But sometimes you just don't find it, unfortunately. So that's what I would say, Ann. 
right. Thank you. All right. Sure. Thank you for calling. Yeah, that's a tough one on on uh, different exposures. Good history is the starting point that we usually delve into those kinds of things. All right, let's go to our friend Kay in Memphis. Good morning, Kay. Good morning. I didn't expect to be on so early. You are. You are on. I was, I was out in the yard working. I didn't have a, a timepiece <laughs> with me, and I sort of overspent my time. Oh, that's okay. okay. I, I had something to happen to me yesterday that concerned me and apparently concerned my cardiologist, uh, I talked to the nurse, but back years ago when I was on Simvastatin and with another outfit, I divorced them and got me somebody I can work with. Anyway, that's what you do when you just can't work with them. You just go somewhere else. Well, you got to you got to trust. There has to be mutual trust there uh, between the well, patient. Well, there, there doctor. were there were I won't go into it, but there were things like they said they I was on a twenty day. Um, 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 on, you know what I'm talking about, blood, uh, heart monitor. Yeah. And uh, they said they sent me the results, and they didn't. I was at home every day. I see the mailman when he passes, and they said something else. And then anyway, it just got down to where, oh, and they charged, the, the day they hooked up my, my heart monitor for me, because I wasn't sure I knew how to do it, they charged me for an EKG, which they did not do. They did not do, and I refused to pay my forty dollars because sure. of it. But it's in my record, and the lady said, "Well, you should be happy. It's a good EKG." <laughs> I said, "Well, what if the person that got mine, you know, is uh, having a problem that they don't have?" So anyway, I divorced them and got me somebody I can work with. But okay, back at that time, I was having these stabbing pains. Uh-huh. I mean, I could be sitting, and it would. Stabbing with a knife could not have hurt worse. Like in your chest or? Everywhere. Okay. In my legs, ev- yep. everywhere. And um, they didn't seem to think too much about it. And I was doing some, some medical reading and, and read about. Um, uh, uh, um, oh, Simvastatin? Uh, CoQ10. No, CoQ10. And so on my own, I got some CoQ10. Oh, I, yeah. That, mm-hmm. And started taking, and all, it all disappeared. I never had it again until yesterday. Of course, I quit taking the CoQ10 a long time ago. But I knew that I couldn't go back to that with my medical situation, what it was. So I, I called the doctor, and the nurse talked to him and said, well, if it appeared again, get to the, the emergency room immediately. Now, what, what, what causes these stabbing pains? I mean, I would actually scream. And I have a great tolerance for pain. Probably what they're thinking about is if you're on certain medications, even if you're not, and you have a lot of muscle pains like that, that can be stabbing, they can be throbbing, really there can be a lot of different things. That that might be an interaction with the medication. Of course, as we get older, sometimes those doses need to be changed to and, uh, and reconsidered, like which medications you're on. I suspect since you were on a statin, you're on simvastatin, that um, that they were thinking about. No, I, I was then. Yes, I'm on a, I'm on a Torset. Yeah, a so I, they're yeah. probably thinking about that, and not everybody gets that. And as you mentioned, some people swear by coenzyme two ten Q ten that it it uh, helps out their symptoms, and that's great. If it does, that's that then definitely take it. Um, but well, I haven't taken it in the two or three years. It just cut it out. Yeah. And when I ran out, I just didn't take it anymore. And yesterday was the first time I have had it, and it was not as severe, yeah. but it was painful enough that I would sort of get, let out a, a little scream. 
Okay. But now, so were you, today, uh, were today you, everything is okay. Were you active yesterday or the day before out no, in the yard? No. Oh, I'm active all the time, yeah. but that, not exceedingly so. That I, may, was, I, I, was, I was active sitting on a crate pulling up weeds and wild grass in my flower bed. Yeah. <laughs> That's good activity. Yeah, it might be from that, too, so you never know. But what they're wanting you to do, if it does, you know, if it does come back, is to go and have that. Uh, there's a blood test you can do to sort of see if... It's the muscles that are being affected by that. So that's that's about the only thing that could yeah, be worried I about. haven't had this now for a couple of years, and right. all of a sudden it appeared. Right. And I'm okay today. My, yeah. my side is a little sore, but I think that's I, just but I keep working yeah. outside like you're doing, Kay. If it comes back, I do exactly what they told you. Okay. I have a little bit of problem with that because um, I don't use the hospital here in Memphis because... <laughs> Well, just to be truthful, they let my husband die. They fooled oh, around for all, all day. Yep. He had the heart attack in the emergency room. They fooled around all day trying to stabilize him, and finally airlifted him up to Central Hospital, and they did uh, bypass surgery and declared him dead of the operating table. Oh. Just because they fooled around all day trying to stabilize him. They ought to know, go get him up there, you know, let the yeah. doctors up there decide. To, so so anyway, anyway, about that. All right, Kay. So and, I, and I go, let me just tell you, and see, I'm right on the borderline of Tennessee and, and Mississippi. Right. And I, I like to use the hospital down in, in Mississippi, but ambulances are not allowed to cross the border. Yeah. Yeah, they got those, those so stipulations. I, I, have to, I have to get somebody to take me, and that's sort of hard around here. Sure. So anyway, I, I'll get off the I'll get off the air and let somebody else get on. All right, Kay. Well, you take care, okay? okay thanks. Thank you, right. my doctor. Bye-bye. Okay. All right, let's go to Bill in Macomb. Good morning, Bill. Hello, how are you doing? Good. What's your question this morning? Well, I just wanted to talk about the... Uh, does not statins deplete the uh, CoQ10 in the body? Theoretically, that is sort of what, why they think uh, coenzyme Q10 might work, um, and everybody's a little bit different. And, of course, that you know dietary intake of different things uh, can, can modulate that. But that was the whole idea from giving coenzyme uh, Q10 to people who had myalgias, but didn't have elevations in something called CK, creatinine kinase, which is a muscle breakdown product. If you look at the studies, it's sort of a wash. Like some people got improved, some people didn't, which is why I said, you know, look, if it helps you, take it. Um, But it's not everybody. I mean, it doesn't deplete that. Um, It has to do with the way that the medication works, particularly in the liver. So you you hit on the, the theory, at least, about coenzyme Q10. In uh, Europe, I understand they when they prescribe a statin, they prescribe CoQ10 at the same time. Yeah, a lot of physicians will do that, and you can get the coenzyme Q10 over the counter too. So it's it's pretty pretty widely available. Certainly doesn't hurt. There's not really any uh, side effect that I know of from coenzyme Q10. So it's certainly safe. But yeah, you're right. Not just in Europe. A lot of physicians here in the U.S. will do that too. All right. Thank you, sir. All right, Bill. Thanks for calling. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to touch base with Craig in Biloxi, who's been patiently waiting. And we've got plenty of time for you to call in to Southern Remedy. You can reach us this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We'll be right back after this.
This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with you this morning, and a lot of good questions this morning. Plenty of time for you to call in if you have a question about anything related to the health care of yourself or your family or maybe somebody you know. You can call one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Maybe you can't call right now and you'd like to still send us a question. You can do it by email by sending it to remedy at mpbonline.com. Dot org. All right, we're going to go to Craig, who's been patiently waiting down in Biloxi. Good morning, Craig. Hey, good morning. Thanks for calling. Uh, yeah, my vision fades out in the middle occasionally. Uh-huh. It seems to be tied in when I'm hungry. Uh, it, 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 yeah, it'll last maybe a minute. It has been happening since I've been a teenager. I was wondering if there are some causes of that that, that, that are known. Yeah, you hit on one. So if your blood sugar gets a little low, you can do that. Uh, anything that's going to decrease the nutrients to the retina, the back part of the eye that, that uh, is responsible for sight, um, that's that's going to affect your vision. Uh, you know, lower oxygen levels for whatever reason can do that. Um, people who pass out, who have the visual symptoms of that before they pass out, um, you know, due to decreased blood flow, all those things can can do it. If it's isolated and it's just in your eyes, or it, let me ask this question first: Is it? Do you think it's both eyes or one eye? Have you have you tried shutting one eye when that happens to see if uh, I haven't? I have a cataract in one eye. I can't. I can't okay. really see out of one eye right now. Anyway, gotcha. Yeah, so it's a little bit hard to to ascertain that when you got a cataract, but. So, uh, yeah, it could be lower glucose levels, but I would have my, if you haven't already, I'd have my ophthalmologist check it out because what they can do is they can look into the back of the eye, particularly with a dilated exam. That's where they put those drops in there and your pupils get real big. So they have, you know, so they can look back there and then test it out for other things. Glaucoma, increased pressure in the, in the globe of the eye, that can be another risk factor for that. Uh, I have low blood sugar. Yeah, that's probably the the culprit right there. And trying to you know manage that is for some of the people it's it's a little difficult. Have they ever tested you for any of? There are some rare hormonal tumors that sometimes can cause that that are called an insulinoma. Uh, have you ever been been tested for that? No, it hasn't been bad enough for you know it only happens you know every couple of months or so, maybe gotcha. once a year. Um, so it hasn't been, and it lasts maybe a minute. Okay. Okay, yeah. I'd, I'd say that your best bet is trying to eat some foods that are going to carry you over to that next meal. So, again, processed foods tend to raise that blood sugar really high, but then it goes down really quick. So eating things are going to stay with you, have a, a lower glycemic index. Those are going to be probably the things that can, can correct it. But if it, okay. gets, if it gets worse or changes, I'd see your eye doctor. Okay. All right, Craig. Thank you for calling. All right, we're gonna uh, we're gonna take one more break for our last one of the hour. When we get back, we're gonna go to Betty from Houston, Mississippi, and your call. Still got some time for you to call in. One eight seven seven MPB ring is the number to call. We'll be right back after this break.
This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. Having a great day today. Hope you are too with uh, lots of great questions. Just love the questions that everybody asks and calls in. They're so pertinent uh, to uh, helping other people out. We hear a lot that somebody may not call in themselves, but um, when somebody does, it touches on something that somebody else probably has the same thing going on with them. So it's a great way to to help them and to help yourself at the same time. So we do appreciate that. You can call us this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Going to go to Betty in Houston, Houston, Mississippi. Houston, we have a question. Betty, are you there? Yes, I am. All right. I, I've heard, I've been running errands this morning, and I heard earlier you were talking about glucosamine and chondroitin for um, osteoarthritis. Yeah. And uh, I had I had bought some glucosamine with chondroitin oh, several years ago, but then when I checked the label, it said it was uh, had sulfur in it, so I can't take sulfur. I'm allergic to that. And I just never bothered with glucosamine again. But when you were talking about it this morning, I thought, well, you know, maybe that might be a thing to do. But I need to find out if there's a problem with the glucosamine since I'm taking warfarin. Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, so um, that might be, depending on how much you're you're taking. So warfarin's a blood thinner for everybody else out there that, that's pretty common, been around a long time. Uh, but it interacts with just about everything. So anything that yeah. has vitamin K in it, uh, you know, leafy green vegetables, all that kind of stuff, you have to sort of stay away from, or you have to be consistent with what you're doing. So here's what I would suggest, and this is just my take on, I know a lot of people in, in coagulation clinic, uh, they don't quite agree with this, but I, I just try to say, look, if you'll be consistent about what you're doing, in other words, if you're taking a medication that's not totally going to interact with it or maybe just a little bit or your diet is, be consistent about that and don't change it from day to day. And you can adjust the cumin either up or down as needed. So I would I would just run it by, do you go to a separate coag clinic or is it just your physician's office? that? No, I, I see an internist twice a year. Okay. I just saw her recently, but yep. the question never came up. Now, I do my own INR uh, checks. The home checks, week. yeah. Yeah, I do my checks at home, and my my uh, whatever whatever the coagulation rate stays pretty pretty con- consistent as long as I I take five milligrams of warfarin and I eat a green salad, yeah, mostly uh, light colored lettuce every day. If I miss a day, I have to adjust the warfarin because of that, or if I eat. Anything darker than that, I have to adjust the warfarin. So I've learned over the years to, you know, how to do that, but I didn't know about the, the glucosamine. Yeah, I, it's, it's to my knowledge, it's not. But again, Coumadin, as you know, uh, it, it, can, uh, it, it can interact with just about anything. So yeah. I, I don't, I've never heard of that, um, particularly with that, but I don't, I don't think it's going to be on there, but it, you may just want to check with them about it. And actually, your pharmacist could run that for you, too. I, okay, we have a pharmacist exciting. in our clinic. I, that's one of the main questions I ask is like, hey, I'm thinking about this medication. 
can you make sure that it's not going to interact with something? And, um, okay. But I think your strategy is one that, that works for most people, um, particularly, you know, in eating different things. It's, um, mm-hmm. it, it can be challenging sometimes. And how do you like the home, uh, the home testing? I know a lot of people have gone to that. I have finally gotten used to it. It's taken about a year and a half. I was just a basket case at first, and I'd use two or three strips at a time because I couldn't. (laughs) I I would just get so nervous and do everything wrong. But I've finally gotten in the routine of it, and I do it every Monday morning. And then the doctor calls me back as soon as they get the results and say, you know, say do what you're doing and or do this or whatever, you know. And uh, so it's it's working out. I really like it better than going once a month because I like to know, I like to be on top of that and know where sure. and how I'm doing. Yeah, that, we're doing more and more of that in medicine of sort of telehealth. Um, you uh-huh. know, UMC is one of the one of the uh, one or two centers nationwide that are really pushing the envelope on what you can do. It gives you a lot of flexibility. You can stay at home, like you said. You can stay on top of what's going on, and uh, you don't have to wait so long to really know that. So. Uh, a lot of different devices like that with home testing, diabetes, high blood pressure, a lot, lot of other diseases that they're uh, they're looking at. So good stuff. So, Betty, I'd give them a call before you did that. Probably it's not going to be a problem, but I would just check with them and maybe your pharmacist. Okay, I will do that. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks for calling. We're going to go to Nick this morning, who is in Flowood. Good morning, Nick. Good morning. I had a question in regard to uh, reading glasses. Uh-huh. So I've heard it said that if you start using uh, reading glasses prior to using them, that it would cause the muscles to kind of deteriorate in the eye. So I was wondering if that's true and how, um, as well as wondering about uh, the glasses with like the blue um light lenses and things, and if you can yeah. speak to that some. like the filters, okay. Yeah, great questions. In fact, I remember on my ophthalmology rotation as a student asking those very same questions to the ophthalmologist because it's a common thing. People say, resist the urge, a lot of people at least, resist the urge to uh, to wear those glasses because once you do that, it's going to change your eyes forever. They'll never go back. And it, that's a, a wives' tale, okay? So that does not happen. What what usually happens, once you get around the age of 40, if you've had perfect vision, that's about the time that you have what's called presbyopia. So that is the the lens in the eye that helps to, uh, there's muscles attached to it, and that lens changes shape so that we can focus on things, whether that's things that are smaller or closer to us or larger and far, further away. So it helps give us that vision that we can, you know, really hone in on things and, and makes it sharp. The lens over time gets much harder, um, and it's harder for those muscles when they pull on it. It just doesn't flex. So you have sort of fixed vision. And most of the time, it's like, you know, like me. You know, that's why people put the book further away because their lens is so uh, solid now. It's not uh, pliable to bend. They can't bend it enough to really focus in on it. So glasses of all kinds, they can help you, um, you know, to, to overcome that. Uh, same thing if you're, you know, if you have problems in the shape of the eye, because the shape of the eye is one of the other things that can uh, determine that. So if it's too short or longer, that's going to affect whether you're nearsighted or farsighted. And the eyes can be different in, from eye, you know, from left eye to right eye. And that's that's me. I'm more farsighted in my left eye than I am my right eye. But wearing glasses is not going to accelerate the process or change it. It's going to allow you to see more clearly. 
um, and that can that can definitely help. As to the different filters and wavelengths, certainly, uh, you know, and you mentioned blue. So those are more related, not necessarily to visual acuity or loss, but more to how the brain is activated with day and night cycles. And that's why a lot of devices now, they've sort of cut that down or they'll have a night mode to do that. But they're also, you know, certainly UV light plays an important part of the deterioration of that lens. So if you wear sunglasses, if you don't wear glasses when you're younger, uh, but you wear sunglasses, that can help protect your eyes against cataracts. And it can also help prevent them from that hardening of the lens over time. So it's more common if you look at societies that don't do that and they're outside a lot. They don't. They're not inside. That's that's the changes that you see in the eye, and that's just from the UV light, uh, UV A and B. But um, but that can help protect your eyes certainly from from that damage over time. But so it's different in different people. You can sort of ask in families. You know, when did you start wearing glasses? Usually, it's sometime around forty. Uh, if you haven't done that before. All right, Nick, hopefully that uh, answered your question there about that. That's certainly a common thing, but presbyopia is that that normal process of the lens getting hard. And uh, everybody's, you know, they'll have their phone and they'll suddenly like put it at arm's length, or maybe you're that person like me that you just can't get far enough away uh, or you might need to to adjust the uh, letters on the phone. And the other thing is, you know, just the opposite. If you need glasses and you're just sort of struggling by, that's not going to hurt your eyes either. You may get a little fatigue, uh, you know, and and headache. That is, it's it's a little bit more rare than people think, but that's certainly one of those things. If you're really struggling to bend that lens so that you can see, uh, you can get some some eye strain, eye fatigue. Uh, if if you don't have correction, common question we ask with screening for vision in younger children, like school age children, you know, they'll say, I just get a headache at the end of the day. It's because they're trying to squint. They're trying to really focus in on those things in the classroom that they just can't see. So uh, protect your eyes. They're important uh, for your life, not just now, but in the future, too. Well, that's all the time we have for today. I do want to thank all our callers. Southern the Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Radio, uh, Think Radio, and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and from generous support from you, our listeners. Today's show was engineered by Kevin Farrell. Our call screener was Michelle McAdoo. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, and you can join us next Wednesday at 11 for Southern Remedy. And stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio.